Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman. Today's guest is Ryan Paul, my longtime friend who has been at the forefront of building highly curated, technology-enabled communities for ambitious professionals. All right. What the hell does that even mean? Okay. Well, back in the day, Ryan co-founded Brazen Careerist. It was recognized as one of the top social networks for Gen Y entrepreneurs. That's where I met him. He then went on to co-found something called the YEC, Young Entrepreneur Council. It was an invite-only organization for top entrepreneurs under the age of 40. Today, Ryan and his team are helping organizations build online communities with a new venture called the Community Company. Now, Ryan is a cult legend in the online community building world. And on today's show, he's talking to you about how community, that concept, can help you as a job seeker, an executive, a business owner, and an entrepreneur. So sit tight, everybody, and we'll be right back with more Ryan Paul, community, and let's fix work. Work is broken. So is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is breaking things down so you can put them back together and make work something you can enjoy. Let's fix work together. And now with the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman, and I'm here today with a really good, dear friend. And I mean that sincerely. I'm here with Ryan Paul. Ryan, how are you? Hey, Lori. It's great to be here. I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, Ryan, we've known one another for almost a decade and uh-huh. we knew one another in a different life capacity. I was a blogger, like a full-time <laughs> legit blogger, which is weird to think about that now. And you were in a different phase of your life as well. So what were you doing when I met you? Sure. So, you know, when we met, I had probably, it was my first couple of years out of college, spent a little time in corporate America and dived into the startup world when I kind of felt like I wasn't really fulfilled with that. And that's where my journey as an entrepreneur started with Brazen Careerist, which started out as a community for young professionals like myself, just entering the workforce and looking to find their footing and looking for advice from peers, as well as advice from like-minded folks from other generations who wanted to support and assist them as they were entering the workforce. Brazen soon became a technology product, a software as a service, and we rebranded as Brazen Technologies. And today it serves as a peer-to-peer speed networking platform. Any sort of A-B type of connection that you can think of wanting to make, uh, we provide a white-labeled service for that. That could be uh, college students and alumni connecting. That could be a brand looking to hire rapidly, looking to connect with a lot of candidates in a very short period of time, or anything that you could possibly think up. And it's doing really well. We moved the company many years ago from Madison, Wisconsin, where we first started up as entrepreneurs, to D.C., and the company continues to grow. Myself, being the community builder at heart that I was, I decided to take another journey for myself after the product became less community-oriented and more of a software-as-a-service. Well, yeah, your life is completely different and not just in your career, but you're one of those late stage millennials who has grown up quite a bit. And it's been really awesome to watch your life evolve. So what's your life like now? And what are you doing now? Well, you know, on the personal side, I'm married. I met my wife during my time out in Madison and she moved out to Boston with me where I'm located now. I have two kids. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. 
and they continue to keep my life very interesting and had a big impact on what my priorities are with how I spend my time and how I work. And on the career side, you know, I launched a new business that allowed me to focus on community full time and really help people create those connections that I feel are just so important to being successful in your career. I can track back, I think, every opportunity that I've had to a single person who gave me a chance. And that relationship just come out of thin air. It came out of building strong relationships and building a rapport with them over years and years. And that's how YEC was formed. Young Entrepreneur Council is an organization of like-minded entrepreneurs who are supporting each other through the trials and tribulations of entrepreneurship. And from YEC, we actually learned that you know this idea of needing access to community is not just something that entrepreneurs needed, but anyone who's ambitious in their career needs access to the right community. And that's why we decided to not just focus on YEC, but to continue to grow and provide the technology and the systems and the processes and the philosophies that we've built to helping other groups and other industries of really ambitious professionals connect. And that's the stage where we rebranded and became who we are known as today, which is the community company. Well, you are on the show today because I'm with you. I believe that your community really matters. And before we really break it down and talk about community, I just want to make sure we're on the same page around the notion of work and community because I think work is broken and I think many of us have a broken community. But I wonder what you think. Do you believe work is broken? Do you believe community is broken? And what are you doing to fix all that? Sure. I think the way that people think about community is broken. And I think Part of that is because of how we've been trained to think about work. You know, it's a very transactional process. And building strong relationships and building community is not about simple transactions. It's about relationship building. It's about expecting to give more than you get in return and knowing that that's going to provide the most bounty to you in the long term. And I think the same applies in work. It's not just about what you get at the end of the day, your paycheck, your benefits, but it's what you give to the company and to the organization that you're a part of that's really going to impact what you get out of it. I mean, I think that goes both ways. There's a lot that we all need to learn as parts of the workforce, and there's a lot that the organizations themselves need to change in terms of culture to make sure that we're creating better senses of community together with the people we work with and all the people that surround the organization, customers, stakeholders, fans, and advocates. They're all a part of that community, and there's a lot of work to be done there. Well, um, specifically, I'm really intrigued by that because I agree with you. I think there is a tremendous amount of work that employers need to do to create better senses of community. Do you have good examples of companies that are getting it right, or just even generalized examples? What's a good community at work? Because many of us don't allegedly go to work to make friends. We go to work to collect a paycheck. And I think that model is broken a little off, but I don't know who's doing it right. Like, what do you like out there? I'm very proud of our company culture and I hate to toot our own horn. There are companies that are doing a great job from the early stage startups to the, you know, fortune 500 name brands. But I think what's made our workforce so special is that there's sort of an element of trust that is built in and an understanding that everyone from the top down has the potential to make huge impact on making the organization a better place. And oftentimes, you know, what we found at a leadership level is that, you know, it's really the people at the very bottom of that, you know, 
family tree and org chart that can make the biggest impact because they're in the trenches and they know those little things that are broken about systems and processes and ways that we interact and deliver the goods that our company is selling. And I think many companies just don't listen to those folks and keep going with the systems and processes and operational behaviors that they're used to and are really ignoring small, tiny morsels of goodness that can make the biggest impact. You know, it's rare that the sexy new product or feature that you add to whatever it is that your company does, the thing that's going to make the most impact for your day-to-day customers, it's these little things that you change about what you're currently delivering and how you're doing it that, you know, create that wow factor and, you know, help retain clients versus having to continue to go out and find new ones, which we all know is a lot more expensive. Yeah. You know, I love that you're giving your company as an example, and I don't mean to put you on the you. <laughs> on the hot seat here, <laughs> but I wonder if there are any mechanisms or advice that you have for employers who really want to create community, affinity, relationships among peers in their organizations. Do you have any policies or programs or something you can highlight yeah. specific that people could take and implement in their organization? Yes. I'm a total geek about this stuff. I love onboarding. That's my prime example because whether you're building a community business like I do every day, or you're just trying to build a sense of community in your organization from an HR perspective, onboarding is the most important and most impactful thing that we do. And I think most people are doing it wrong. Can I ask you a question? Could you explain onboarding? Because there are so many listeners of mine and people in the audience who don't work in human resources, and they maybe know what onboarding is, but they don't. So let's talk about it. What is that? Why is it important? So first, I'll tell you what it's not. And I think what it's not is a process that takes place on day one of employment or day one of signing up for a service that you're a part of and ends 30 days later. It's something that starts even before your first day of work. And it never ends. It's something that's a continuous behavior that we need to be taking advantage of. And really what it's all about is making sure that you've brought someone into the fold and into your community in a successful way to set them up for success. You know, And in the context of doing that within a company from an HR perspective, it's about making sure that everything that needs to be done from a more brass tax level from filling out all your tax forms and, and providing your social security number and you know giving your company a headshot so they can put it on the team page is, is taken care of even before their first day so that on day one, you can really hit the ground running and educate and make sure that people are learning about the company and that they know who all the stakeholders are and that they know where their fit is and how they can help support all of those departments and that you're not just creating silos. Now, at our company, we start collecting all of the paperwork and all of the boring details as far in advance as we possibly can before the person's first day. Because on the first day of their employment, we want them meeting with every person on the team. We want them learning. We want to just have them feeling like they're really getting to the good stuff right away. So that 30 or 60 days in, they're going, they're contributing, and they're a very healthy and happy member of the team that knows how to give back and knows how to support in their role and even beyond that. And I think most companies just don't provide that level of onboarding detail that's provided or that's needed. 
You're absolutely right. There's so many companies where you show up on day one and you don't even have your laptop (laughs) and you're filling out paperwork that could have been filled out two weeks earlier and you don't really get to meet your team or feel like part of the community or the group until maybe you get a lunch, Mm -hmm. which is a couple days later. So I love that you do that with your company. And that's a really great example of how to create that feeling of community early on. You know, it seems like such a no brainer, right? That everybody should double down on community. But so many people ignore it. And even to the point where it's too late. Do you know why that is? I think people are stuck in their old ways, for one. But I also think that process and systems are hard. That's the hardest part of any business. Ideas are easy. I think coming up with the actual procedures behind the scenes that make the types of onboarding experiences and ongoing feedback mechanisms work are actually difficult to build and no one takes the time to actually sit down and do it. And I think that's a pitfall that businesses make, especially startups at all levels of the company, is not focusing enough on process and building systems and documenting systems. Because what happens is you've got a great HR system in place, but if that lives in someone's brain and not down on paper and not archived for the next person to take over, well, when that person moves on or goes into a new position, you're starting from day one again, all over. And I think that's the problem. The problem is just you know, not taking enough time to really write down how these processes work and build automation and build processes that are going to you know, be able to keep the company running if, you know, say, I'm the one responsible and I get hit by a bus tomorrow. God forbid. But you, know, you get the idea. I think we're not as good as being systems-oriented as we should be at all levels of the company. It's interesting that you see a system behind a community because I think most people would hear the word community and think it's all about feelings and relationships, <laughs> everybody just connecting. But yeah. in order to have a thriving community, you have to build it on an infrastructure where people know what's expected of them and know how to interact right. and know that it's safe and know what the communication mechanisms are. And I think um, organizations take that for granted. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think they do. I think you know, community especially tends to be a touchy-feely thing. And the idea of community management and being a community builder is relatively new. One thing that I'm really invested in doing with my peers in that space is trying to get people to, you know, think of, you know, now building communities as grownups. You know, we always have a need for that touchy-feely aspect of community and creating a space that allows people to feel welcome and gives people the opportunity to feel vulnerable. And that is, you know, one of those softer skills that I think a lot of community builders bring to the table that will always be important. But to take that from, you know, just a simple, you know, I'm building a Facebook forum type of community where people can connect and get mutual value to something that's more of a business and more a part of your livelihood is going to require you to think beyond that and to have some business savvy that allows you to think like an operator and think like a systems driven business person. And that, I think, is the difference between communities that simply exist for that sort of uh, touchy-feely, like, good, you know, hearted human being kind of deal to something that has those factors, but also has, you know, business application and also can be something that supports you and supports others. There's, There's a business model to be had there if you're willing to kind of step out of our comfort zone as community builders to, you know, really balance the communities, have them be something that really contributes to the bottom line of a business, but also has that really important touchy-feely aspect and personalized aspect that I think community builders are so good at. 
at their core. You know, it just dawned on me as part of this conversation that there are people out there listening who have never heard of community builder as a job. Like they don't even know what that Mm -hmm. means, right? It's one of those new things in the new economy that they've never heard about and frankly doesn't sound real. So maybe we can take Mm -hmm. a second and actually define what a community builder does at an organization. Sure. You know, I think a community builder can exist in multiple departments across an organization. I think they can exist in HR providing that connectivity of the entire organization through the systems and processes that they build, the technology that they bring to the table, the mindset that they bring in order to connect people and allow them to communicate and support one another. It can exist between customers and the company itself and provide more than just you know, the product at the end of the day. Coca-Cola sells more than just Coca-Cola. They sell a lifestyle. They sell a sense of ideals. And they've invested in building community around that set of ideals with a lot of programs that they do to help social entrepreneurs, for example, do what they're doing and amplify what they're doing. They've built great programs around that. And what community builders do just at the core is they build more connectivity and more of a bond between two parties. And that's really at the core of what community building is. It's helping people connect better with each other, as well as with the resources that are going to help them achieve their goals, whatever that goal might be. Well, in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about my philosophy, which is you need to be a community builder for your life. And I know you've written a book on that, and we're aligned in that way. But, you know, just the concept of community, I think, is hard for many Americans particularly to grasp because there's this old saying by Groucho Marx that I don't want to belong to any group or club out there <laughs> that will accept me as a member. Right. And so, you know, I wonder if you can help the skeptics in my audience overcome their skepticism to community. Can you make the case for community and why it matters if you're an employee or a small business owner or an entrepreneur or just even as a human being? Why do you need to care about community? Oh, I think we're all in communities right now, whether we know it or not. You know, the people around us in our workforce are a community. The people we live next to are a community. The people in our town are a community. Our friends and family are are communities. It's just a matter of how good of a community they are. Yeah, that's (laughs) true. And some people have access to great communities. Some people, they have access to poor communities. And they have the opportunity to be more successful with the support of community builders who take the reins. You know, the Groucho Marx saying about not wanting to be a, to belong to a club, I get it. I mean, you know, I think there's definitely a rebellious desire to not want to be affiliated with any organization that wants to accept you into their club. I understand the negative connotation there. On the other side, I think that these curated clubs and organizations are more important now than they ever have been because of social media and technology in the world that we live in. You know, I think it's been a blessing and a curse to have the connectivity that we have. Case in point, you and I, you know, who are in separate parts of the country right now are able to get on a chat and record this podcast that we're going to distribute to thousands of people who hopefully, you know, get to listen and have an impact from it. On the other side, it's a noisy place oh, and it's yeah. hard to find the information that you're looking for. And it's hard to find the right people. It's hard to filter through the hucksters and the gurus and the ninjas and the people that want to just sell you something and not actually build a relationship. And therefore, I think right now, people are incredibly hungry 
for a curated experience. And that's, I think, where, you know, the community company has been very successful. You know, we thrive on building experiences that connect entrepreneurs that have reached a certain level of success and can support one another. We thrive on connecting, you know, CTOs for our Forbes Technology Council that are in companies that are a specific size. Therefore, they're going to be able to connect and have some commonality and be able to support one another. It's a, a very, you know, interesting place to be right now where things just become noisier and noisier. And I think people who can create a curated experience can make a lot of money and do a lot of good because we all need this now more than ever. I mean, it's getting exhausting. and I have a hard time spending any of my energy outside of my energy connecting with my curated communities on social. I just don't do it anymore. You know, that's really interesting that you talk about how important curated communities are, because I think that's more sophisticated than many of the people in the audience have in terms of an experience online. And your earlier statement about trying to navigate through hucksters and self-help gurus and ninjas <laughs> is more the norm than usual. And so yeah. I've learned that I need to take risks and I actually just need to accept that I'm going to experience some of that in order to get to yeah. the other side of that, because community has changed my life. It helped me move from being an HR practitioner to a blogger and then to a consultant and now to a writer and a content creator. So community along the way has really given me every opportunity in my life. It's given me a lot of headaches as well, but <laughs> Ryan, that's right. how we met, right? So I mean, it's just this amazing, powerful tool. And I wonder, as we close out this segment, do you have a story about how community has changed your life? Oh, I mean, I would have never started the community company or YEC if it wasn't for a community. It was the early day brazen careerist community members that were a part of this group of Gen Y slash millennials ending the workforce that I stayed in touch with and spent years supporting and helping with their own career endeavors that eventually led to one of them introducing me to my future business partner, Scott, who co-wrote Super Connector with me. It was just years of being a friend and a colleague to this one single person that led them to trust me enough and to connect the dots to make that introduction. And I can't imagine what my life would look like today without the community company. It's brought me so much success and so much wealth that supported my family and you know helped me and my loved ones live a happier life. Just those connections that we've made years ago inevitably became the ones that really connect the dots for me so I can be where I am today. And I'm so grateful for that. You know, there's no eight minute abs formula to building community, to building relationships. And it can take months or even years for you to yield any return from those relationships that you spend time and invest in. But those relationships will be so much more valuable than the simple transactional relationships that you're making through, you know, trying to just up the stats on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook to be more quote unquote influential. You can't see the quote marks I'm doing right now, but I'm like, I think you know what I'm getting at. You know, it totally. Works. Yeah. It's all about quality over quantity. And at the end of the day, that's how I got work to where I am today is focusing on a very smaller, more intimate group of people to take me to where I am. But I think if you were to look at the most successful people in our society, it's a curated group of people that have helped them get where they are today. You know, let's take Richard Branson, for example. I imagine Branson has, you know, very 
close inner circle of friends and colleagues that are helping and supporting one another. Now, his internet fame and his Twitter stats, that all came later, right? That's not how he became Richard Branson. He got to where he is because of a much smaller group of people that he's probably invested in for decades. Well, that is so well said. And listen, in the second half of the show, we're going to continue talking about community and specifically about your book, Ryan, Super Connector. We'll talk about relationships. And we're also going to talk about the much dreaded activity of networking. So sit tight, Ryan, and everybody else. We will be right back with more Let's Fix Work. Hey, everybody, it's Lori Brudeman here. You know, I'm all in on the Let's Fix Work podcast. I want to deprioritize corporate interests, amplify good ideas, and help people fix work by fixing themselves. But I need your help. Please head over to patreon.com forward slash let's fix work and contribute to the podcast's growth. I need your help in building an infrastructure, growing the community, and making let's fix work a permanent place for good ideas. Your donation is essential for the show's success, and any contribution would mean the world to me. Thank you again so much for listening to Let's Fix Work, and thanks in advance for your support. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's Lori Brudeman and Let's Fix Work, and I'm here today with my friend, Ryan Paul. Ryan, how you doing? You enjoying yourself? You having a good time? Feeling good so far. I'm ready for the second half. Good, good. I haven't been mean to you yet. <laughs> no tough no, questions. No, not yet. No, uh, no, yeah. no, we're friends. There's no need for that. Well, listen, <laughs> yeah. you wrote a really great book that I've been sharing in my network, in my community called Super Connector. Stop networking and start building business relationships that matter. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what we can learn in that book? So Super Connector is the culmination of 10 plus years of my business partner, Scott Gerber, and I learning how to build relationships and learning how to build communities in the right way. And I think now more than ever, it's really important for us all to do a self-assessment as to how we're building relationships. That is the core goal in the world. Word networking has just become so bastardized by, you know, ye old networking of we go to a crowded bar that smells like stale beer and just dole out business cards like there's no tomorrow just to wake up the next morning with, you know, a slight hangover and a bunch of crumpled up business cards that just go in the trash. We want the relationships that people create in business and in their life to be more meaningful. And there is no formula to that. There is only a set of guidelines and ideas inspiring people who we deem super connectors out there who can teach you how to build the right methodology for yourself. And that's what super connector is about. It's about exposing what these really great relationship builders are doing, how that has brought success to their life, and hopefully inspiring those who read it to figure out what their own formula is and walk away with a set of ideas for how they can build better relationships in their life and to stop networking. That's such an important point that you make. And I think it's bigger than networking. Right now, I think our culture is giving us the idea that there are eight simple steps or seven simple steps to doing X, whether that's networking or living a better life or you know, detoxing from social media. And very often, we knew this in the past, and I don't know why we forgot it, we look to heroes, we look to models in our society to see how they're doing it. And then we take what's appropriate from those experiences and 
test them out in our own lives. And I wonder um, if you can provide an example from someone in the book who's living one of those really great, super connected lives, they're doing it right, and maybe what we could learn from that one individual. Sure. First and foremost, you know, I've got a great example, but I think what's important for people is that before they look at others and try to live by their example, take a step back even further and do a self-awareness assessment to learn about who you are, where you thrive, uh, where you're uncomfortable, and make sure that you build a framework that's going to put you in the best position possible to build great relationships. The example I'll use from the book is actually the person I referred to earlier on who uh, connected me with Scott. And that's how the community company was formed. His name is Dan Chabell. He's a fellow author. He's wrote a book called Me 2.0 and Brand Yourself and has uh, become sort of an expert in the personal branding space. But beyond that, you know, what really makes him a powerful human being is that he puts community first in literally everything that he does. And the thing I love about Dan is you will rarely find him at a crowded conference, uh, chatting it up with people. You'll you know, rarely see him just haphazardly setting up coffee meetings with people that he barely even knows. He's very calculated about how he connects with people. He knows that he is not going to thrive in an environment of hundreds of thousands of people. Now, he's a rock star on stage, but when you get him on the floor, it's not his bag. Now, the same is true for just meeting people one-on-one for coffee. You know, Dan rarely just meets anyone that he's never talked to in person for coffee right off the bat. He establishes a lot of relationships with people online through what feels like a safer platform and a safer formula for him to get to know someone before he even decides, okay, this is someone that I really want to sit down with for coffee and get to know better. The other thing that Dan's really great at is, you know, he will set up smaller, more intimate groups of like-minded people. He'll have maybe five people that he wants to meet with. And instead of meeting them all one-on-one, he'll set up a lunch with all five of those people and him. So he gets a chance to connect with all of them. But also, in a sense, he's curating and providing even more meaningful connections for the other five people who are around the table. So he's really calculated and really thinking about how he can provide the most value to the other people, but also how is he putting himself in the best position possible to be a good relationship builder and make great connections? He knows what works for him. More importantly, he knows what doesn't work for him. And he steers clear of those things. Even if the social norm is to attend every conference and network your face off, that just doesn't work for people. I'm one of them. You know, I will admit I'm one of them too. Even though I'm out there, I'm generally out there for my business. And if I were to be given the opportunity for free to just go network with people, there's no way I would do that. I don't have the stamina for it. And I also don't have the attention span for it. Very early in my career, I was blessed with a boss who observed something about me. And she said, you know, Lori, you're really good in a group of 200 people, but you're not good being the center of attention in 200 people. You're good either (laughs) on a stage or... You know, you're good um, connecting people, but it's not like you can walk into a room and feel comfortable. And I'm like, oh my God, that's 100% true about me. So why am I doing that to myself, right? Why am I going into these big events and trying to meet everybody? I'm absolutely going to fail. But I thought it was really important in my career to go into a room with 200 other HR professionals and get to know everybody's story and talk about my story. And it was such a waste of time. But again, it's important to develop these relationships as work moves from job titles and companies to more agile teams. 
we want people to know that we're available for work, right? We want people to know that we're good at X, Y, and Z. So I wonder what are the attributes of a business relationship that matters and how can we communicate our best selves to the right people? I know there's not like an eight-step process, but do you have any tricks or ideas? Yeah, I think, you know, first and foremost, it starts again with understanding who you are and making sure that that's the person that shines through in every relationship that you create, Uh, ensuring that, you know, I hate to use the term personal branding and saying that we have to create these mechanics to brag about ourselves and to build sort of like this portrait of who we are when people go and Google us. But that's reality. That's what people are going to do. And to make sure that you have, you know, some sense of who you are as a person, where you want to go is incredibly important. I think beyond that, when you meet with people, putting them at the forefront is incredibly important and making sure that you're focused on giving versus receiving. You know, another really important thing that I think a lot of people do wrong is they don't focus on asking good questions. They ask very terrible questions. And one of the questions we talk about in the book that Scott and I really hate, believe it or not, is the question, how can I help you? Oh, yeah. How can I help you is just a terrible question. Yeah. Most people, especially people that you've just met, aren't prepared to answer that question. They don't know you well enough to know how you can support them. And you haven't probably built that level of intimacy yet for them to share some of the real grueling challenges and expose that to you just yet. Better questions could be something along the lines of, what are you working on right now that you're really excited about? A great connector can listen to what someone's excited about. And people who are excited about something and truly passionate will talk about it for hours and dissect what it is they're doing, identify challenges themselves, and do that heavy lifting of determining what help they can actually give. Most people, aren't, again, aren't going to be able to answer that for themselves. But you, if you're a great connector, can ask questions that will help you answer that question for them and put you in a better position to provide assistance and support with what they need most. I love that advice. And you know, when I hear you, I hear the words intentionality. I hear gratitude. I hear listening. And I think those words hit up against this notion in our society that we have to have a personal brand because a personal brand Mm. is aggressive. A personal brand, although necessary, can be assertive. And I think about the questions that come to me as a career blogger, right? People write in and they say, you know, I've gone to these networking events. I was terrible at it or it felt really bad. And I wonder what is going on there. It sounds to me like what's going on there is that maybe they're not asking the right questions or they're in the wrong community or they haven't done the self-assessment. But I don't know. What do you think is going wrong with most networking activities these days? I think people are just going along with the norm are listening to advice from someone potentially with a personality type that just doesn't mesh well with who they are. It can be a number of different things. It's funny, being an introvert, I, <laughs> I've i spent years you know, just really struggling with my own confidence and being able to go out and network with other people. With other people. <laughs> and I think it was because I was sort of taught that there's a certain way you had to do things and you're either good at it or you weren't good at it. But that's not the case. You know, we live in a world now where there are so many different forums and venues for making meaningful relationships. And you get to pick where you invest your time. And if you start picking for yourself versus letting the status quo pick for you, you will tend to get more 
out of those experiences and the time that you spend than if you were just to follow someone else's lead. I mean, just to give a pat on the back to introverts, some of my favorite super connectors from the book that we got to interview are introverted people. They've just found ways to network and build relationships that work for them and not against them. I would argue that some of the best super connectors on the planet are introverted because they are actually more thoughtful and they take the time to listen versus having to be that center of attention. They're actually in the background listening and dissecting and trying to connect the dots so they can help other people become successful. And through that giving and through that habitual generosity that's become a part of their lives, they're getting so much in return for their own career and their own life goals. Well, I love that message around introverts having the power to be super connectors because I think that runs counterintuitive to everything we've been taught in society about being an introvert or being an extrovert. And I wonder as we wrap this up, Ryan, what message do you want to leave with our listeners about community or networking or relationships or just personality types? What's the one message that will resonate with the audience today? You know, one thing that's always been incredibly powerful for me is not being afraid to share my ideas and to make sure that you know what I'm thinking about and what I'm excited about always shines through in conversations and that I create forums and connection points for me to put those ideas out there even if you know they might suck i think having that confidence in what you have to bring to the table and knowing that it's okay to fail is 100% the most important thing that we all need to focus on in order to build better relationships. Because contrary to what you might believe, building better relationships doesn't start with understanding other people better. It starts with understanding yourself better. And through that, you're going to be able to give more to the communities that you're a part of than if you were to just have focus on other people and continue to listen to what the status quo has to say. So really just form your own path. If you want to read Super Connector, that's a great way to get started. But don't read it as gospel. Read it as inspiration from others who have seen success. And then figure out what your path looks like for yourself. No one else can answer that for you. Really fabulous stuff. Ryan, thanks so much for being a guest today on Let's Fix Work. Listen, I want everybody to be able to find you. So where can they find you on the internet? I am uh, very simple to find. I'm Ryan Paw on Twitter. My website, ryanpaw.com, is a great place to learn more about me and what I do. Superconnectorbook.com is a great place to learn more about the book. And if it speaks to you, please pick up a copy. And then to learn more about the community company and what we're doing there with the brands we work with, just go to community.co. Love it. Super easy to find. And, you know, hopefully people will get a glimpse of your real life behind the scenes with your two adorable children. They're absolutely darling, Ryan. I'm so happy to see all of the Thank success you. you've had in life. It's just great. Thanks again for being a guest on Let's Fix Work. Thanks, Lori. Hey, everybody. You know I love to brag about my friends. I also like to listen to them. And right now, I'm listening to Jennifer McClure, host of the Impact Makers podcast. Jennifer is connecting with leaders across all industries to figure out how to make a difference at work and in the world. Here's what she's got going on. I believe strongly that each of us has the ability and the opportunity to positively impact people through our work and through how we choose to live our lives. The truth is that you've already impacted people in this world, even if you haven't been trying. I love what Jennifer has to say. And if you like what you're hearing right here on Let's Fix Work, you'll love what Jennifer's talking about on Impact Makers. So go to jennifermcclure.net, 
forward slash iTunes and subscribe today. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ryan Paw. You can find Ryan's book in the show notes or online or simply by Googling Super Connector. And while you're out there on the internet, you can find me at L. Rudiman and Let's Fix Work. Now, I learned something about podcasting this past week. Downloads are an okay number, but subscribers are better. So if you love Let's Fix Work, please head over to your favorite podcast player, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and hit subscribe. You'll get the last four shows in your podcast player, and you'll automatically receive updates every week when a new show airs. Let's Fix Work is a production of One Stone Creative, Audrey Casino, Megan Doherty, and Gerson de la Flesh. Make the show sound great. And that's all for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Let's Fix Work. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Fix Work. Wouldn't you love to get your hands on Lori's no-holds-barred, honest HR handbook for employees and pros alike? Download it for free at lorirudiman.com slash DIYHR. 